Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices. I'm Steve Randall and this episode of the podcast is being fully constructed in a factory before being moved to its destination site because we're talking modular construction. These buildings are permanent structures that can stand for 100 years but when you find 20 years in you've you've got a different use case or you've made a mistake with your master planning you could simply take the pins out get a crane put them on a lorry move them 50 meters or 500 miles and reassemble them so so that's a massive thing for sustainability that's sam whitworth from stelling properties a uk company that's building student accommodation hotel rooms and more off-site project rehouse is uh there to help those displaced by conflict, war, uh, natural disasters, emergencies. Um, We help people displaced who are displaced internally or externally. And that's Maddie Podstada from Project Rehouse, a charitable organisation born from a Stelling Properties initiative to provide temporary accommodation in Poland and Ukraine. Plus, of course, Pete the Builder, Peter Finn, joins me in just a moment. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. So, Pete, how's things with you? All good, Steve. Enjoying the summer. Hope you are too. Well, as anyone listening in the UK will know, we've had some very, very hot weather recently and uh, us Brits just can't cope. Uh, we, 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 don't, we don't do well in the, in the heat. Yeah, well, in Ireland, we don't get the, the, the heat that you get and we don't, <laughs> we don't get it as often as you do. So when it comes our way, we'd be uh, very grateful for it. Um, we're talking about something today, which I don't think we've particularly touched on before in all the episodes of Constructive Voices that we've done. But actually, this was um, a story that, I'll just to put it in context, a story that came to me via the local news uh, in the part of the UK that I live in, um, a company that makes modular accommodation units, largely for student accommodation, hotels and things like that. They're uh, sending some of these to Poland and Ukraine to help with those who have been you know, forced out of their homes by the conflict there and they're using them as temporary accommodation. And I, I found out about this, as I say, on the local news, and I went along to the factory, which is literally down the road from where I live, and uh, did an interview with um, a guy called Sam Whitworth and also uh, Maddie, who is um, heading up this sort of this charitable side of things, uh, Maddie Podstada. And I, I learned so much stuff. Now, I, I know you know a bit about this, this modular building uh, side of things, Pete. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when it comes to... Our current uh, construction industry, we obviously have the challenges that we discuss quite regularly here on on the podcast. We've got a huge sustainability issue, but we also have a huge housing crisis globally um, where we're looking for construction to happen and for it to happen quickly, but we also want it to happen in a sustainable way. Modular build is definitely being pushed out as one of the solutions to, to, to these challenges if we define what what a modular construction actually is, it's pretty much making a building off-site and then bringing it to site. You're using various different materials. It could be concrete, could be steel, timber, frame-type construction. Lots of different materials are being used, but they're being used off-site, built into modules, and then brought to site, and then erected. Modules are connected and then put together. So that's the that's a very rough version of, of what modular construction is. So what's the advantages to it? Well, what the industry experts are saying is that 
when you look at modular construction, it can be deemed as being greener. It is more sustainable than your, your traditional build on site. It's faster because you're able to do it in a repetitive manner in a workshop environment. And it's also safer because, again, you're, you're doing it in a workshop environment. And smarter, I suppose, would be the same as safe because it's constructing in a probably a more clever way is, is the way that it's being sort of showcased. So it's very interesting to see. It certainly is something slightly different to, to what, let's call it, our traditional build would be. It certainly is something that suits new construction quite well. But uh, again, people are saying that you can actually adapt it so that it is, you're able to, to, to do a lot of offsite work and then connect to an existing building as well. Um, so, you, you know, it's a it's very interesting subject, very interesting type of construction, and it's certainly something that's not going to go away. In fact, you know, some people are saying it could be the future because of its benefits. Yeah, very, very exciting stuff. Stelling Properties is the firm. Uh, I spoke, as I said, to Sam Whitworth and Maddie Podstada as well. Uh, let's hear that interview, and then we'll come back and talk more about that in just a moment, Pete. This is Constructive Voices. Uh, so my name is Sam Whitworth, and I'm the Engineering Director at Stelling Properties. And my name is Madi Potstada, and I'm the project coordinator for Project Rehouse. Okay, so if we can start with you, Sam, um, tell me about Stelling Properties and what you do here. So we're a, a modular construction company. I think the key difference we like to distinguish with ourselves is we're in the business of delivering buildings. We're not in the business of shipping modules. Modular is our method of delivery, so, so we deliver whole developments. Uh, we're predominantly in the, the PBSA market, so purpose-built student accommodation, and we're expanding into the, the residential and the hotel sectors as, as we speak. So here in Mitradeva is our production facility. So this is where we build the modular content. And then our sites are, are all over the country. Uh, we've got developments in Guildford, Winchester, Portsmouth, Southampton, and we're currently looking a little bit further afield. Taking, for example, the student accommodation, what are the advantages in terms of your customers, what what do they need? Is it the flexibility? Is it the speed at which you can do these things? Is it a mixture of things? The main benefits are speed of delivery, getting the building on site, causing the minimum disruption to the local residents, getting rid of all the noise and dust associated with uh, traditional construction, but also the quality and the value we can deliver to the end user. So this is a controlled production environment. We can carefully monitor the quality of all the fixtures and fittings and the things the resident in- interacts with. But we can also control the quality of all the things you don't see. So our modules leave here with what we call a digital passport. So every fire stopping detail is, is not only inspected by an independent person, it's also digitally photographed, and that forms what we call the passport that leaves here, the birth certificate of the module. So it's really the, the speed of delivery, the lack of disruption, and then generating the best value for the customer at the highest quality. They're the things that we like to focus on as part of our delivery. Let's take it back to the design stage. Presumably you're designing bespoke or are these things that people can get kind of, for want of a better word, off the shelf? The reason we exist is our founders went to the modular market looking to buy their product. So before we were in the modular industry, uh, we started off refurbishing existing buildings. We then built uh, our, our buildings traditionally and we were looking for a better way. So we went to the modular market and said, we know exactly what our customer wants. We know how big it is. We know what needs to be in it. F- frankly, we, we couldn't find that offering anywhere. Um, so, so we asked the, the, the famous question, how hard can it be to do ourselves? And, and the, the answer, of course, is very, and there are many barriers to, to, to entry, but we're really enjoying and relishing that challenge of finding those things out. So one of the things that, that Stanley pride themselves on is we are flexible. So, so do we standardize and do we apply manufacturing best practice to, to, to the design and also the build? Absolutely. But that does not mean the customer gets a lack, uh, any less choice than they can do anywhere else. So we exist to take on the challenge of bringing modular to the mainstream and giving people 
the choice that they deserve as a customer. And obviously here in the UK, but also around the world, similar similar themes regarding lack of supply of homes in particular. Um, do you see modular as being part of the solution? Absolutely. And I think the solution is, is much wider than any one part of the industry. Being able to bring best practice manufacturing, drop the cost of entry for people to rent or to own uh, residents can only be good for the industry. I think um, there is a much wider thing that needs discussing of how to, how to make that accessible to everybody, but, but certainly driving value into the process and taking out unnecessary costs can only be good news to the end user. And what sort of timescale are we talking about? From Let's say something that is kind of an off-the-shelf product that somebody you know, phones up today, they say, well, you know, we need one of these as quickly as possible. How quick is that? To give you an idea of our production rate, uh, currently we can build around 15 modules a week. Uh, so a medium-sized development could be anywhere from 100 to 150 modules. So you're talking around 100 days of manufacture. In terms of installation, we've got a patented system that we use to take the module to transport, to lift, install it into the building. That system allows us to go from the back of the truck to installed in the building in four minutes. So the actual rate of lift and assembly isn't a constraining feature. Now, if you leverage the benefits of the fact that you're manufacturing in our facility, while that's going on, we're manufacturing at 15 a week, we're storing them in our yard ready for delivery. While that's happening, you can be doing all of your enabling work. So your foundations can go in, your drainage, your, your enabling power and mechanical services can all be in place. And then it really is a case of how quickly you can get the lorries onto site and how quickly you can lift them into the stack. The key thing is we look to drive value absolutely everywhere. So we don't just um, subcontract out our transport. We've got direct control of, over how we do it. We have partners we work with. We control the interface. So we transport our modules on standard lorries. There are no specialist low loaders. We design the lifting equipment and the transport equipment to allow that to happen, which means we can procure from standard markets. So we're not constrained by availability of lorries because we can use any lorry that can move a container can move one of our modules. So we, we look to drive value into absolutely every enabling process and to remove opportunities to be sort of stuck into a very niche field, which transport could become if you didn't, didn't take control of it at the very beginning. And are these modules designed in such a way that they can be kind of linked together and made into to bigger structures? Absolutely. So interfaces is key in, in the modular industry. And designing a system that allows you to put a module uh, with dual aspect windows next to a module with single aspect windows, um, you can set modules back on, on top of each other. So quite often to maximize planning envelopes, you need to be able to recess your top floor to sort of visually reduce the bulk or mass of the building. So designing a system that allows that to happen within the standard structure you have to have compression posts in your structure. You have to have bracing. It's just down to being very careful with your placement and design so that those things that have to be there anyway can also do additional jobs when you want to play tunes with the structure, if you like, and to, and to play with the configurations. When we were designing our system, we did a lot of configuration studies to look at how we could achieve different massing. And we, we looked at example projects that we'd want to be able to deliver and worked out whether our standard offering would unlock those sites. And, and that's really how we tackled the flexibility we know we need to be able to offer in the market. One thing that, that kind of, I suppose, is, is a big question is, what's the lifespan of one of these structures? So one of the things we're hugely keen to point out to everybody is we're not innovating with the materials being used. What we're innovating with is the assembly process and applying manufacturing best practice. So if our building is has a, a light-gauge steel or a hot-rolled steel structure, that's the same light-gauge steel and the same hot-rolled steel you'll see on any building site, any high-rise building, uh, any low-rise building, anywhere in the world. So the 
resilience uh, of these structures and their ability and their lifespan is no different to traditional construction. So there's no reason um, you can't have the same lifespan as any other building. We've put our system through a BOPAS uh, accreditation, which currently has a, a design life of 60 years. Again, depending on who the customer is, whether they want BOPAS, whether they want um, build off site, whether they want an HBC, whether they want 60 years, 75 years, 100 years, that's all part of document control and accreditation. There's no limits within the system because we're using the same materials. There's, there's no secrets in the materials we're using. They're, they're used up and, down the, up and down the country in construction sites all over the place. We're just assembling them in a different way. And obviously, sustainability for the construction industry, it's a big challenge. How do you see Modular fitting into that? And how do you see the drive towards a more sustainable and net zero, for example, um, impacting the modular sector? So it's a field we're very active in and we're doing a lot of work. Uh, obviously, the, you know, everybody thinks about the three R's, reduce, reuse, recycle. The first thing we do is control our material usage. So we design to the millimetre. If we need a ceiling height of 2,500 millimetres... We design to exactly that. So the plasterboard that goes in isn't cut. We're not using a 2,700 board that we have to cut some off. So we control the material we use and make sure we're using the minimum amount possible. The other thing is any waste you do have, whether that's off-cuts of plywood, whether that's off-cuts of plasterboard, plasterboard that we use is virgin material and go for recycling. Uh, timber products we use can go for energy recovery. The other great example I like to give is light gauge steel. If you were on a building site, you'd be buying a jip track or something similar. You'd be buying that in maybe a three meter length. The first thing you're going to do to install that is cut anywhere from 200 mil to 400 mil off the end of it, 100% waste. When you design a system, you're buying your light gauge steel cut to length. You know, it's, it's, it's rolled, it's swayed, it's cut to exactly your length. So when it arrives here, we put it straight into the module. What that means is the only waste on a 700 meter coil of raw material is the last meter that can't form a full stud. If you if you add that up, you know, if you're if you're making several hundred studs out of a you know, 700 meter coil, 300 studs potentially. You multiply 400 millimetres of waste by 300 and compare it to a metre, mm. there, there is no comparison. So we, so we, we reduce um, and we reduce the uh, amount of material we use. The other thing we do is make our product reusable. So our modules are actually capable of being taken apart, put on the back of a lorry, moved to a different location and reassembled. And it's one of the fundamentals. And it's actually an area we're quite active in. We're doing a project at the moment to help um, people who are unfortunately homeless, uh, giving them what, what the industry is currently calling meanwhile accommodation as they um, receive help and support and get themselves back on their feet. The modules we use for PBSA have been uh, fantastic residents for those people because it gives them a self-contained space where they can study for an evening course, they can be clean, they can cook for themselves, and it gives them a space where they can get away from maybe some of the influences they're trying to get away from to, to put their life back on track. We're finding a couple of projects now which we're in the process of delivering. There are wider developments going on where the developer has put these things in place on a temporary planning application. They'll be there for two to three years and they'll actually be moved to a different site in three years' time and reassembled. So these buildings are permanent structures that can stand for 100 years. But when you find 20 years in you've, you've got a different use case or you've made a mistake with your master planning or you want to redefine the, 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 the social mix or, or the use case of a building... There's not many things in the current construction industry that you could simply take the pins out, get a crane, put them on a lorry, move them 50 metres or 500 miles and reassemble them. So, so that's a massive thing for sustainability. There's a lot in the press at the moment about why are we knocking down buildings. And it's because fundamentally they're built in a, um, in a, in a way that isn't flexible. Mm. If you challenge yourself to design a system that can be relocated 
or can come back to us and be refitted even. If you wanted to change PVSA into her hotel room, you don't have to do much. You know, you may want to change the, the study space in the kitchen to more of a, a sofa lounging area. Mm-hmm. The bathroom's going to be extremely similar. So your, your carbon footprint by building something which can have several lives, uh, that 100-year argument suddenly goes out the window because you, you, know, you change the boarding, you, you refurbish the, the, the bathroom, you touch the things up and you redeploy them. If you look at the embodied carbon life cycle or something with a much wider um, use case than what it was initially intended to do, that, that, go, that goes through the floor. The other thing with modular construction is we have, we have much more control over our process. So in terms of uh, energy use, people traveling to sites, we can have much more control over that because we're not asking people to go to different places every day. We're not asking our suppliers to drop off five sheets of plasterboard. We have a warehouse facility where we can take a whole lorry load. So we're, we're just utilizing the supply chain and, and maximizing the benefits of manufacturing best practice and frankly being in one place. Fantastic. Well, we'll we'll go and have a look in the factory very shortly, but I want to to turn to Maddie. Obviously, the Ukraine war has been a massive story this year and will continue to be so, unfortunately, for for some time. And of course, a lot of people are being displaced from their homes. And uh, a fantastic project has has grown from that necessity. Project Free House was born as an initiative uh, by Stelling Properties. So uh, a team of architects, engineers, and marketing specialists put their heads together and came up with a project which we then branded as a rehouse. And since then, it grew as its own entity. So we are a charitable organization. So we're not a charity yet, but we are a community interest company currently transferring into an, a registered charity. Uh, project Rehouse is uh, there to help those displaced by conflict, war, uh, natural disasters, emergencies. Um, we help people displaced who are displaced internally or externally. Uh, and currently we're working in projects in Poland and Ukraine. And I guess the, the, the issue that somewhere like Poland, for example, which is not involved in, in the war has, it still has the supply constraints. So actually to have a huge number of refugees coming across the borders, finding places for those people to live is a massive challenge. And when it has to happen quickly, you know, a modular solution can, as we as we already heard from Sam, can react very fast to this. Uh, it can. Uh, the modules are produced and uh, transported to Poland and then can be ready and uh, to be used in about two hours. So they call it plug and play. Uh, so basically it, they plugged into electricity, plugged to the sewers and water is plugged and then they uh, become homes for people who lost well, everything. And the foundation we are currently supporting has seen thousands of people crossing the border since the beginning of the conflict, uh, up to 15,000 people a day, which is a huge number. And if we can help 10, 20, 100 families, uh, it's, uh, it's really life-changing for people and we're very proud of the project. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna use uh, the word proud and say, how proud did you feel when those those first units were on the lorry and heading towards Poland? I think you should see me on BBC. I cried and I was so emotional. It's weeks of hard work of everyone involved, and um, obviously they had to catch that on the camera. Uh, me crying my eyes out, <laughs> um, but it actually feels like. Um, like a huge achievement for for all of us and um, we cannot wait for them to be delivered and so we can see people living in them and see how we can change people's lives and how we can support them and i mean you mentioned that this is 
an ongoing thing now. This isn't just, you know, for this one particular crisis. This is something that sounds like you're in it for the long term. We recognize that this conflict uh, will finish eventually and there are there will be other conflicts or other disasters that need that sort of support. And we we would like to support anyone who needs it. So if there are organizations uh, which support uh, people after a natural disaster, they can always come back, come up to us and say, we would like some help with accommodation. And the beauty of the product is it can be taken from one location to another. So as Sam mentioned before, modular accommodation is it's a fantastic solution to be relocated from one location to another. And so when it's not needed in a particular place, then we can put it on the back of the lorry and take it somewhere else and someone else can use it. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sad case that, you know, there will be conflict somewhere in the world at, at any given time. So there's always always going to be a need. Um, do you want to give a plug to the particular website for the project? Uh, you can find us on www.rehouse.org. And if you'd like to support us financially, we have a Just Giving page and crowdfunder. So you can have, find the link on the website to support us. Project Rehouse is also looking for new trustees, so if that appeals to you, please get in touch ASAP. After chatting in the office, I joined Sam for a tour of the factory facility to see how the units are put together. So we, uh, we operate a moving run, so every day a frame comes in and every day a module leaves. Um, we run 10 build stations. The first three take us from the raw frame to the finished box, so that's installing the floors, the ceilings, external walls, windows and internal studwork. We then go into what we call the wet trades, that's taping, joining and painting. And then the final four stations are internal fit-outs. So that's where kitchens, bathrooms, uh, final fix of electrical and plumbing are all installed. And we'll show you to walk around the, the uh, factory. You'll go from raw frame to fully finished module. And when we say finished, it's mastic, uh, the kitchen's installed, the bed's made. Uh, we even joke we like to put the soap in the soap dish and the mint on the pillow. It, it's finished. Nice. <laughs> and we have a rule that nobody, when we get to site, enters the module. The only person to enter the, the module is the person who commissions the fire system and the cleaner before the student. So all of our mechanical collections are done from the outside of the module and the structural joining of the building is done from the outside of the module. So no one needs to go in there, which is one of the key value propositions. We're able to fully finish it and then protect it by stopping people getting in there. Uh, we'll walk into the How do you control something? Um, we don't let the guys measure. This is a set template. So, in order to make that square in exactly the right place, we're not reliant on someone setting out. We've got a, a set of templates that have been pre-conformed and we, we've, we've put the steel work into that. So this is one of the key areas to our whole operation. It's how we uh, enforce the manufacturing mindset. The line that when we see out there, there's no modification of material. You won't see people cutting plasterboard or plywood. You'll see them assembling it. So everything's pre-cut here. So we have one source station to deal with, gypsum and cement based products, we have one source station to deal with uh, fibre based products and it just shows you the control we can apply, it also shows you how we can look after our staff. This is cutting timbers, uh, those timbers are glued together, it's cutting gypsum materials. It's an area you don't need to wear dust masks because we've got extraction, industrial extraction which you can hear running. So it's good for the environment, it's good for our people, it's good for control but it allows us to really take the people first approach and look after the people who are working here. In a pre-cut material, you've really got to control how you do it. So the materials stacked on these trolleys, the board you want to use first, you cut last. And the board you want to use last, you cut first. It's at the bottom of the pile. 
And it takes sort of a little bit of trial and error to realise just how important that is. But if you're going to pre-stack a pallet of material, the last thing you want people to have to do is move off the other temples to get number 11 to the bottom. So not only do we pre-cut the material, we also organise it in the uh, order in which we want it to be used. Uh, so we sort of define the ballet and how people are operating and how material goes from uh, raw material through processing into the module. Uh, and that's a very manufacturing-led approach, and we call it having a plan for every part. So it's no accident where, where things are on the trolley. It's controlled through a, a manufacturing resource planning system that, that generates works orders and tells the factory staff where materials need to be, in what order, and at what time we want them. As we run along this, what you should be seeing is the level of finish evolving each day. Absolutely. So each, this module moves every single day. Um, this module here is an example of allowing choice and freedom. So, up we go. This is on the corner of the High Street in Southampton. It's a very prominent location. Uh, the main window looks out over, uh, over a side road. And these side windows look out over the High Street. Just to show you the flexibility, only these modules have these windows. And we were able to take our standard frame uh, and just configure them to allow window aperture. So, within our standard product offering, this aperture is here. This could be a window, it could be a doorway, it could be an open section joining two residential modules, but it's just the philosophy of designing in uh, flexibility. A lot of offerings, you would struggle to accommodate this kind of opening to allow the windows to be here. So it's absolutely critical at the concept stage, before you've actually got a building design, you work out how you're going to allow these, these types of variation to happen without making your whole operation grind to a halt. And that's really the key to it. Here we're into the third stage of the line, and this is where the internal items, so the things that the resident interacts with, you know, the kitchens, the bathrooms, the wardrobes, are all being installed. And you can really see at this stage the level of finish being, uh, being achieved. You know, the final paintwork, the sockets, the light switches, the fittings, the radiators, they're all being integrated into the unit at this stage. So here we have a fully finished unit. The mastic's been applied, the final clean's happened. And as I said earlier, we're now loading the furniture in. So the bed, the mattress, the slats, the chest of drawers the student gets, they're all, they're all in here. So that when this unit arrives on site, final clean, commissioning of the systems, the resident can move in. There's no more work to do within this module. Um, and the quality of space is you know, exceptional. For a student accommodation project, for a hotel project, for a residential project, they can all have access to this, this level of feel, finish and quality. We'll just point out a couple of things outside. So the risers leave here. Fully finished. So um, the riser door is marked out, and when this unit goes to site, they'll open the riser door, and all the access they'll need to connect the services is from the corridors, so no one needs to go in. The other thing we do with these units, these can sit in storage any time of year in the UK. We always um, leave them connected with a um, umbilical power supply, and that allows us to heat them to 15 degrees keep the ventilation going so we just reduce to remove the risk of condensation in the units because we put the finish in we then want to maintain it so that we're not doing any remedial works as time goes on just to point out a couple of things about our system so they leave here completely wrapped in either their finished facade or a weather defense product so in this case that's uh, an external sheathing board and a single ply roof membrane when we designed this system we designed it in such a way that any material we put on we never have to remove um, which sounds relatively simple, but it's absolutely key to operate in the UK. So when we're assembling these buildings, you can assume we're in the UK, you can assume it's raining. So what you don't want to have to do is remove a roof membrane to install the permanent roof. So when we go through conformance, cons uh, condensation risk analysis, fire testing, these membranes are all in place. 
so that when we get the sign-off and certification to go and build, that sign-off's in place including any temporary membrane. So although its performance is only temporary, it stays in the build-up forever, so we don't have to remove any uh, membranes and expose any of the, ele- uh, any of the buildings to the elements. And just a final thing to point out, we installed the finished facade here. So the buildings don't need scaffolding. Uh, this, this unit has a, a gold-coloured composite panel. This is going on the top story development in Southampton. This will have the flattings applied before it leaves here, uh, and then it's, it's ready to go. So it removes scaffolding, um, and the need to do works on site. Just on these panels, these are an A-rated system. So they're a rockwall core composite panel. Um, so they're, they're unlimited in the height of building they can be used on. And they remu- remove any of the ambiguity over what fire classification you have. It's not a concern for us. Whether we're building a building under 18 metres or over 30 metres, we use the same system. It's always a non-combustible facade, which in today's environment is probably one of the biggest things you can do to protect your assets and your investments. Constructive Voices. So there you go, Pete. I just love my factory tour there that Sam gave me. And as you mentioned sort of before we heard the interview, you know, that whole sort of thing about it being cleaner and safer. I mean, I went into you know, what you could consider to be a construction site, but it was a very calm, very controlled factory environment, very little mess. It, it just felt like a, a really wonderful space to be in. Yeah, so it, it was a brilliant interview there. It, was, it, was, it felt like the, the day in the life of, of somebody who was, who was working in, the, in the, the workshop there. So it was really well done. Um, it was great to hear all the different stages that the process goes through. And Sam certainly, you know, uh, was a man who, who really knew what he was talking about there. And, and it was great to hear his little insights um, as to how they adapt and, and how they are able to use the type of construction, obviously, which is modular construction, to, to adapt to any kind of situation. Now, when it comes to modular construction, there are no limits is what is being said and, and is really the reality of it. Like it can be built on multiple floors. Again, Sam mentioned that as well. All the units are interconnectable on all different sides and, you know, built to measure. So there's, there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on there. The first time that I had heard or really seen modular construction coming to the fore was, do you remember during COVID when the Chinese hospital was built like in some ridiculously short period of time? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And they are good like, at that. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember watching the news and going, what? Is this for real? They built a hospital and I think it was something like nine days or something crazy like that. They'd built this huge area. That was the first time that it kind of sprang to mainstream, let's call it. And obviously uh, experts have uh, have been an industry the construction industry have been looking into this type of construction for a long period of time, but I think that was the first time people got an insight, you know, mainstream public got an insight into modular construction. And, you know, it was obvious to see the benefits in that situation where there was a pandemic breaking out extremely quickly and the reaction time to creating this huge facility that was up and running. It wasn't just like, a, you know, a shell that was mm. sitting there, you know, that was being used like a tent. It was literally a, a fully functioning ventilated with hot water heat and cold like you you name it like it it had everything set up in such a short period of time so that was that was certainly i suppose an eye-opening experience for most people around the world and the reality of it is that that is the capabilities that are there and and probably more again in in a more controlled and and more organized situation and again so so cool to listen to sam talking about you know the benefits that they have in what they can do in their own in their own workshop environment where they're able to control so many different aspects of the the construction we've got you know challenges that we come up against all the time in construction again we speak about them you know the the materials issues uh delivery times all of these issues 
you know, they don't go away when, when you're working in modular construction, but you can control them in a little bit better in terms of once you get the materials to your workshop, well, then you can kind of store them and use them as you need them. So there's a lot, a lot of benefits, really, really interesting stuff. And um, then, you know, the broader question and the, and the broader uh, reality of modular construction then is you, you can build something and transport it to, to, to another part of the world. There really is a, a, is limitless bounds to to what you can do you can reuse as well which we you know we've discussed here before if mm. if you you know the the most efficient and, and the, the the best way to keep your carbon footprint down low is to either reuse a, an existing building and obviously you want to cut down on on material waste as you said you, you didn't see any material waste because again in a workshop environment you're, you're able to massively reduce the amount of waste but also well, and, 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 and everything's cut everything's cut to length you know every, everything is, is delivered to them at the length they need it to be yeah and any any small pieces of waste can be reused then in in maybe smaller cuts in in the construction aspect and you can literally dismantle the buildings move them to another place and re-erect them again which of course is a much more sustainable way of building than than starting from scratch uh, yeah, and, and, well, and also, I mean, they, they can literally be lifted up as they are and just taken somewhere else as well, you know, even in their, you know, complete state. And and, and things like, you know, Sam touched on, uh, you know, where there was a, a full length sort of ceiling to floor window that could easily be taken out and a door put in there and then, you know, another unit put next to it with a similar thing. And then, then you've got two units and then you've got three. You know, you can really adapt this on the fly pretty much. Yeah, and clever design as well. Like, you know, let's not forget that because, you know, architects and engineers around the world are able to, to, to look at what modular build, or sorry, what modular construction gives them. And that's the opportunity to do exactly what you just said there. You, you know, have clever ways of adapting and changing these modules to suit some really good design, you know, and just because it's modular build, it doesn't mean that it's going to be that little sort of small portal cabin type of a, of a feel. <laughs> there's, there's lots more to it, you know. Like, you know, I suppose if we go through the benefits then, and if we start off with the greener part of it, we discussed it briefly earlier, obviously controlled environment, much less transport costs. You're able to actually record your, your uh, emissions because, you know, you're going from point A to point B. You're working in in the workshop environment, you know what your emissions are in your workshop environment, and then you're, you're delivering to site and erecting very quickly. So that's obviously a massive uh, saving. We mentioned earlier on massive reductions in waste. So, you know, there's so many different improvements there when it comes to, to the to the green uh, greener environment and um, flexibility, the fact that you can reuse. There's so many positives there then when you move on to faster so you're working in a in a workshop environment you've got your uh reduced construction schedules because you can you you should know and you will know right down to the to a t there's no such thing as the program going over time because you know how, how quickly it it takes you to to make a certain aspect of the module and therefore you're you're able to be very accurate with your program timing which is excellent no weather days, you know, if it's if it's really hot outside, you should be able to get some air conditioning in and keep the place cool <laughs> so people can continue to work. But if it's raining outside, which we all know can be, or we can get storms, we can get some really bad weather situations that dramatically uh, affect programs. That's not an issue when it comes to, uh, to, to, to this type of construction. And then obviously it's in such a controlled environment that you're able to... Uh, increase manpower in certain aspects to, to get stuff done quickly and you're able to build to a very high quality you're able to build to whatever code and, and whatever specification is required because it's right there it can be built and inspected before it leaves the workshop 
and then moving on to like I suppose that's smarter construction as well safer in terms of your 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 general working from heights and and on all the other aspects that you would have when it comes to your traditional type of construction because these modules can be literally brought to site can be pre-finished on the external and on on the roof so you don't have to erect as much scaffolding to give the workforce the access to the to the areas and there's just, there's just so many other aspects there in terms of, the, of of it being smarter. You can test before you go to site. You can have so many different aspects of your construction already done in the workshop. When you hear Sam saying that the, the, the bed is made and actually put into the unit, that, <laughs> that really brings, a, you know, uh, that paints a very clear picture of, of, of what level of finish can be provided. Oh, and, and it was incredible. I mean, the thing is, I think there's a perception thing, certainly among the, the general public. Um, and you mentioned those porter cabins, and that immediately takes you back to, you know, those temporary classrooms that we all had at school from time to time. And then, then they were never in a great state, were they? That was probably our fault as the kids rather than anything else. But um, when I went into, certainly when I went into one of the finished units, um, you immediately forget that you're in a, a modular unit. It could have been a hotel room or a student accommodation unit in a traditional building. The build quality and the quality of the fittings and fixtures inside were high-end. Times have changed and and modular construction has changed with the times. Um, Again, I know from being at Footprint Plus and listening to some of the speakers there, like there are some huge projects that are under construction at the moment and in the plans, some high-rise and some very large residential uh, projects that are going to be built uh, through modular construction. A large part of it is the uh, efficiency and the sustainability aspect that is kind of championing the modular construction being used on those projects. And um, because of the fact that, as we said earlier, it is such a controlled environment and you are able to be so accurate with your information. So to trying to get to, to, to net carbon zero is so much easier when you are doing it in a controlled environment and massively reducing transport and all of the areas that we know are uh, the difficult areas to to try and reduce carbon um, emissions from. It wasn't the only, obviously the only type of construction that was being kind of pushed to forefront, but it certainly was one that was being spoken about on a very regular basis. You know, the flexibility of it, and it's so different from what we kind of have in our minds from modular construction. It's not that cubes kind of put together in a very regimental and and uh, structured cubic way this is like the, the modular construction these days is is miles beyond that it's it's done in such a way that you know pretty much any design is catered for you know large open spans all the, the good stuff in in architecture that has come into our industry over the last few years are still absolutely attainable and you're able to do it in a controlled way in terms of your air tightness and your your thermal efficiencies and all, all of the good stuff that you need to have in a building these days is so much more controllable. So it, it's very exciting times, and it's certainly the type of construction that, that I think is going to uh, tick an awful lot of the boxes when it comes to the challenges that we have, the speed of construction, and let's let's be honest, manpower is a, is a and workforce issues that we have in construction are massively reduced because you don't have to have as many people on site. Yes, you do have to have people in the workshop environment. But you probably are reducing the amount of footfall it takes to to actually construct 
a building. So, um, you know, all of these things are, are positives and especially in the current environment and the current challenges. So really exciting stuff. And I'm, I'm a bit jealous that you got to see it the way you did see it. <laughs> I know. I, I really enjoyed it, actually. And, and just to pick up on that, that whole bit of the, the, the workforce is that, you know, it very much is like a, you know, like a, a typical production line. So you've got one group of people who are, who, who are building sort of the outer shell and then that unit moves on to the next stage and then it's a different group of people who are working on maybe fitting the 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 plumbing stuff for example and then it moves on again and so you know you're freeing up workers and and the unit as well so you're not you're not sort of all working on top of each other as you would be in a traditional building because the thing's moving along the line um and being dealt with by the trades that need to work on it at that point so it it is a very efficient way of working yeah no doubt about it and look i i know from from myself like a lot of people in construction, when it comes to the workforce, have to be that type of person that has a van and will travel. We're, we're like those nomadic samurais of construction that just travel from town to town, sorting out the, the problems that the town have, you know, which uh, is a very romantic way of looking at it. But <laughs> <laughs> the reality of it is it's you really do have to be flexible in terms of you've got to travel from site to site. You know, that can be quite a large commute, which, again, has uh, a lot of issues in terms of carbon emissions, but also um just, just everyday life in terms of would I would I rather travel fifteen minutes to the same location that I know is going to be a controlled environment every day, or would I would I rather have to travel three hours or two and a half hours to, every day to get to a to a location, and then mm-hmm. that location will only be for six months, and then I may have to go to another one, or it could be shorter periods of time. So you know, I, I, again, that was something that I did hear being spoken about that that people were saying that. You know, it really does suit the workforce in terms of they're able to to buy homes and and to live close to where they work in a very close to home scenario. Some people are cycling to work; all their tools are on site, so they don't have the stress of having to have a van full of tools. There's a lot of positives for, for this type of construction. Again, I, I don't mind saying it. That, you know, we, there there does have to be some education on this because if I was asked, like I I would consider myself to be quite well educated in construction, and it's certainly something that I've got a passion for. But if somebody said to me today, look, I built a modular home a year ago and I want you to come in and adapt the house, there would certainly be an an education process for me. I would have to find out how the house was built. I would have to maybe discuss that with the architect that was involved and make sure we get the plans of the construction and then see what way, you know, can you actually adapt the building? So, you know, there's certainly still some challenges and some education to be be done on the subject. It's not uh, everything isn't rosy in the garden. But again, for me, that's a, a minor negative to to, a, to an awful lot of positives that we've already discussed. And again, it doesn't matter what building you're working on, you always have to go in and educate yourself on the building, whether it's an old or a new building, as to how the, the building was constructed and just make sure that you um, do the right things to adapt it in the right way. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to working on a project myself um, in, in modular construction. And, and I really do think that it is something that is going to be happening a lot more. I want to educate myself. I'm always looking forward to <laughs> um, seeing new types of construction and learning about them and and, and certainly modular construction is, is something that I am I'm interested in. Look, one thing I would say it's not brand new. Like we've been doing timber frame and we've been doing a lot of that type of construction for um a long time now. And uh it's not something that's like brand new that we, we all have to, you know, start start, you know, reinventing the wheel on. But there certainly is a, 
uh, it's like any any new product or any new type of construction that comes along. You need to make sure that you're doing it in the right way. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, it's, it's been a fascinating topic to talk about. We'll talk about something different next time on Constructive Voices. Until then, Pete, have fun. Stay stay cool if you get that hot weather in Ireland. Cheers, Dave. And I was just thinking there, modular construction started for me way back when I was doing my Lego years ago. So I might get the Lego back <laughs> up again. Start getting my... Start getting my, my, my Lego moves back together again. Enjoy the summer, my man. I enjoy the, the good weather, and I'll chat to you very soon. Cheers, Pete. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Mm -hmm.